with your host, Stephanie Arnold. Welcome to the show, Eric. Would you introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. I'm Eric Forrester. I'm a senior economist in Econ One's LA office, and I've been doing uh, litigation consulting for about 10 years now. Uh, through that time, I've worked on a variety of cases, including intellectual property, antitrust, and false advertising. Great. Thank you. Eric, we ask everybody uh, when they first come on the show the same question. So the question for you is, what was your first job? Well, thinking way back, I think my first job was as an economics tutor in college. Wow, it sounds like you've been in the economic world for a long time. Pretty much. So what are you here to talk to us about today? Today, I thought I'd talk a little bit about regression analysis and how to interpret the results. People can sometimes be skeptical of economists and their analysis, including regression analysis. So how does that apply to today's topic? Well, so I want to give our listeners um, some tools to help overcome that skepticism. And what would help overcoming that skepticism? Well, I'll uh, point them to some Daubert opinions because the courts have given us some tests or ways to evaluate regression analysis or really any statistical analysis so that we can know when to be more skeptical, when to be less skeptical. Okay, I have to ask, what is regression analysis? At its core, it's a method for estimating the relationship between different variables. For example, one could use regression analysis to estimate the effect of product features on prices. So Eric, how is regression analysis different than say, correlation analysis? Well, that's a good question. So correlation analysis looks at the degree of co-movement between just two variables. Contrast that with regression analysis. It's a little more ambitious. It's trying to estimate the effect of one variable on another while simultaneously controlling for multiple or potentially controlling for multiple variables. Do you have any real-time examples of that? So sticking with product features and prices, let's think about cars. When people buy cars, two important features are, say, horsepower and fuel efficiency. And there's a design trade-off, I understand, between those two features. And so if you just looked at the effect of horsepower on prices, you wouldn't be capturing. You know, they're increasing the positive attribute of horsepower, but that may lead them to decrease a different positive attribute of fuel efficiency. And so when you just look at horsepower and prices, you may not see the full relationship that you think exists. How would an analysis of just prices and horsepower be misleading? So a simple example would be, well, we might see two cars that have the same price and very different horsepower. Uh, correlation analysis would take that to mean that horsepower is uncorrelated with price, that there's no relationship between the two. But by incorporating the fact that, say, the high horsepower car has terrible fuel economy and the low horsepower car has great fuel economy, we might be able to see that both fuel efficiency and horsepower are having a positive impact on price. But if we just looked at one factor at a time, we might come to the wrong conclusion. Is this something the courts are aware of? Yes. This topic has made its way into several opinions where the expert's analysis was excluded per Daubert or deemed incapable of providing a damages figure consistent with the plaintiff's liability, as in Comcast. Are there some opinions that are particularly relevant to this topic? Yes. Among the many, many opinions on regression analysis, there are some that specifically address the examples we discussed about the need to analyze multiple factors simultaneously. The courts have adopted the term omitted variable bias to describe 
this particular problem because you've omitted an important variable that would change or bias the results. Is this a serious enough problem to have an expert's testimony excluded? Yes, and it's important to weigh the relevance of the omitted variable. For example, horsepower may be an important variable for explaining car prices, and you could contrast that with windshield wiper speeds, where omitting it may not be enough of a problem to justify excluding the analysis. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. To get into the weeds a little, let's go back to the horsepower example. If there's a trade-off between horsepower and fuel efficiency, then these two attractive attributes may be inversely related. And so omitting one leads to an underestimate of the effect of the other on price. But in other cases, two attractive attributes may be positively related, in which case omitting one leads to an overestimate of the effect of the other. Well, let's transition a little bit. Is there a court case where this came up? Yes, quite a few. Uh, 2014 had two. Read construction data, where the court found omission of a major variable was fatal to an expert's regression analysis, and a class action against Blue Diamond, in which a regression analysis was determined to be insufficient because it failed to control for the effect of advertising on price. And these sorts of opinions go way back. For example, almost 20 years ago in Bickerstaff, the court excluded regression analysis on the grounds that it omitted two important variables. But aren't there always some variables not included in the model? Does a model need to include every factor? Well, you raise a good point. A regression analysis doesn't need to include every possible factor. The court in Bazemore points to the need to include, quote, many factors. And my reading of polypropylene carpet is that the courts want critiques about omitted variables to include evidence that the omission is likely to affect the results in a meaningful way. Are there any other ways that a regression can be problematic? Yes, and one that I have in mind goes to the basis of how you interpret a regression. It's important to realize that the expert sets up the regression framework in such a way that it has certain pathways it can use to measure the co-movement between the variables. This is when experts will start talking about structural and reduced form models, linear, log-linear, log-log, and so on. And that may sound like a bunch of jargon, but the assumptions behind the model can have an important influence on the results. Is there a recent case where the court weighed in on this topic? Yes. In a case that will appeal perhaps to sports fans, it was about baseball and hockey broadcasting. And the court pointed to the unreasonable implications of one of the experts' models and the fact that these implications were the results of using assumptions in place of data to justify excluding the results of that model. So courts are open to understanding and evaluating even very complex models, and it's important for your expert to be able to explain why or why not a certain model is reasonable. All right, I'm going to build on that note and ask you a question. Eric, can you summarize how Econ1 communicates these incredibly complex topics to a judge or a jury in a way that they can connect with them if they've never heard this type of language before? At Econ1, instead of just throwing around jargon, we get to the core of the issue for the courts and our clients. While an economist's heart, like mine, may be tied to the technicalities and abstract assumptions, the court's interested in practical implications. While the theory is essential, it's the ultimate impact that will resonate with the court. Thank you, Eric. This is a complicated topic. If you could give the listeners one major takeaway from all of this, what would it be? At Econ 1, we provide clear vision on complex issues, and we strive to make sure regression analysis is both used properly 
and understandable to non-economists. All right, Eric. Well, thank you for being here. We ask everybody the same question at the at the end. What is your favorite part about being an economist? Well, funny you ask. The same question was posed to me this last weekend at my son's Cub Scout campout. I said, because economics can explain the world around us. You know, I, example I gave was my good friend. He did his dissertation on the economics of apologies. So it really shows you, you can explain just about anything with an economics toolkit. Well, that was very timely, wasn't it? (laughs) Thank you again, Eric, for being here. If you'd like to learn more about Eric, head over to our website at www.econone.com. And again, thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on Inside Expert. Inside Expert.